Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy, online home loan process at quickenloans.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, May 26th, and we're grabbing our controllers to navigate the red-hot world of video game stocks. Mm. I am your host, Dylan Lewis, and that is David Kretzman <laughs> over on the side. Man, th- th- this is why we pay you the big bucks, Dylan. <laughs> I thought you might like that intro. I, sometimes I try to not give you a heads up about what I'm going to come in with and just see if I can catch you on surprise like that. Hey, I was impressed. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, so, David, I had you on last week. We talked about two tech names that were not doing so hot, Twilio and Yelp. Today, we're kind of flipping it over. You're back with me this week to talk about a sector and a couple companies that have just been on fire so far in 2017. Yeah, uh, some of the best performing stocks of the year, including Activision and Electronic Arts, essentially that video game space, which, as you mentioned, over the past year and certainly year to date, they've been some of the best best performers so far. And I know that this is a category that I think some investors kind of dismiss. You know, it's it's either something that they can't really wrap their head around um, because it is in a way new media. Um, but like you said, I mean, Activision Blizzard is actually the best performing stock in the S&P 500 year to date, up over 60%. Um, Take Two Interactive, which we'll also touch on today, and Electronic Arts, both up over 40% year to date. So this is certainly a category worth paying attention to if you're an investor. Yeah, not not too shabby at all. And I think Activision Blizzard was actually the top performing stock in the S&P in 2014 or 2015 as well. So it's it isn't just this year. It's over the past three to five years. All of these have been incredible investments. And when you hear Hear about those types of gains. I think a lot of investors have to kind of look at it and say, "Well, is it too late to build out a position? You know, what does this market look like, and have we already kind of seen the huge surge? And are gains going to look this attractive moving forward?" Uh, we will try to answer that today, at least a little bit. Um, why don't we start out here with the big fish in this space, Activision? I think a lot of fools are probably familiar with this company. It's been a recommendation for quite some time, as you mentioned, um, going back to 2014. But I think actually it's been involved in the premium services for over a decade at this point. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and gamers might know this company uh, for its Overwatch and Warcraft franchises, among some others. So, recent quarter, the company hit new records for revenue, EPS, and cash flow. David, what's been fueling all that growth for them? Yeah, well, you, you teed that up nicely. So, the, the company essentially has three different segments. You have Activision, which is probably best known for Call of Duty and Destiny, kind of those shooter action games. Then you have Blizzard, which is best known for the online multiplayer games like World of Warcraft and uh, Overwatch. And then a couple years ago, they acquired King Digital, which is mobile gaming, most famously Candy Crush. You, you, I feel like you can see someone playing Candy Crush on any Metro commute. It's, it's always there. Yeah, it, it's it has some incredible staying power. We can talk about that. Uh, the the main highlight for me this quarter uh, that Blizzard segment is really doing well, thanks to Overwatch, which is now the eighth billion dollar franchise in the company's overall portfolio of game franchises. So that's that's pretty incredible for just a year. Uh, and it's Blizzard's fastest growing new franchise ever. It's reached over 30 million players globally in less than a year after launching launched uh, spring last year. So that that Blizzard segment, thanks to Overwatch, is just doing really well. You're seeing their uh, monthly active user count just continue to, to tick up steadily thanks to Overwatch. And this is, um, in some ways, kind of like the social media platforms that we talk about, where there is that MAU number that you can look at, in addition to some of the 
um, kind of more financial metrics and get a sense of how these platforms and these games are doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the one of the things to, to keep in mind with these video game companies is that their quarter to quarter results and year to year results will be lumpy depending on the the timing of a, a game release, like Call of Duty. I'm not sure what number or what sequel they're on. It's probably seven or eight at this point, uh, but that's obviously a huge. Pretty much anything that has Call of Duty on it will sell well, even if the reviews aren't all that great. Uh, so that that is something to keep in mind. That depending when you have these new games developed and launched, you will see those numbers ebb and flow. But all in all, yeah, you do want to see that user count and overall user engagement continue to tick up over time because that's that usually leads to pretty good financial results. And it's in some ways it's kind of like the movie studio business, right? Where it's like you find something that resonates with your audience and then you milk it. <laughs> like oh, yeah. you, you just keep putting out titles in that franchise because you know it's a it's a story or their characters or it's it's a storytelling approach or something like that that people just love and they can't get enough of. And so you see that, you know, maybe yearly releases or every other year releases for a lot of these titles. Yeah, and, and that's been an overarching theme in the evolution of the video game space. Because if you go back five or ten years, it was still primarily you would go into the store and you would buy the physical disc of the game. And in that case, the shelf life of the game wasn't necessarily that long. Like you needed to get that physical disc in front of customers, whether it's at, you know, Walmart or GameStop or wherever. And if you didn't do well at that initial launch, then uh, the the shelf life of that game probably wouldn't be too long. But this shift toward digital, where people are downloading the games, they're able to do microtransactions within the games, they're able to download like extra maps or levels of the games over time. Then all of a sudden, you can buy a game in 2014 and still be playing it today and still be paying money uh, as a player and as a user of that game. And that's part of the reason why you're seeing the profitability of all of these companies that we're talking about today continue to tick up over time because that digital revenue is high margin. Because once you get those users and you're able to continue to engage with them over time, it doesn't cost a lot to you know, sell another map to them digitally where people can just download over the internet. And you can push updates to those users too, right? Yeah, yeah. you're seeing a lot of live events and uh, live updates and things like that. So these games are very much like a living entity. It's not like you're just buying the one physical disc and that's the only addition you have going forward. It'll continue to evolve over time. And you see that in the company financials too. So looking at the most recent quarter for Activision, online sales were up 50% year over year. And they now make up 80% of revenue, which is, which is crazy. Um, and and some of that is the transition to digital away from physical with those games. I think some of that is also the acquisition of um, the King Digital property and and everything that they have under their umbrella. Um, one of the things that is kind of interesting with Activision is, particularly relative to these other video game publishers, they actually have a surprising amount of goodwill on their balance sheet. Yeah. Um, about half their assets are in goodwill. And you know, for people that might not remember, listeners that might not remember, uh, goodwill is basically it's an intangible asset. It's often tied to the difference between what you can actually tie value to and what you pay for something in an acquisition. Uh, other times, it's you know brought in with brand value and things like that. And so, you know, they they bought King Digital for six billion dollars a couple of years ago. Um, that is part of that huge goodwill number. And I think a lot of people are kind of wondering how that acquisition looks and what that property is doing for them. Yeah, to me, that's the biggest question mark still with the company. So, when 
uh, Activision acquired King back in late 2015 when the acquisition was announced. King had about 475 million monthly active users, so almost half a billion monthly active users, which is you know more than Twitter and a lot of these other social networks. So that's an incredible number, but that's slow, steadily ticked downward each quarter up till now. Where now it's at about 350 million monthly active users. But there are some bright spots there. The Daily active the ratio of daily active users to monthly active users, so essentially the hyper engaged users, is at a record high. Uh, and as the people who are paying for the games are paying more each quarter. So it's kind of like you you have this small but growing base of really engaged people who are just playing Candy Crush like crazy, <laughs> and, and and they're paying a lot uh, to to upgrade through the game and different things like that. Those people are paying more, so that's kind of how management will spin it. But I think overall, the the question there is, how easy is it for them to replicate that success with with Candy Crush, or is it really just about like is that all it is about? One thing that that was interesting in the conference call this quarter is they mentioned that Activision and King will be partnering up, and they'll uh, look to to build a Call of Duty mobile game, and I think that. That that could justify the acquisition to me even more than than just bringing you know Candy Crush under your umbrella. But if they're able to use King's expertise in developing mobile games and transition Call of Duty into the mobile space, that could be really interesting. And I, I could see that justifying the the premium that they paid. And hopefully they that would hopefully that that would help them avoid uh, having to write down that goodwill and essentially admit that hey we actually paid way too much for King. So. So, some things to like there, but to me, that that's probably the biggest question mark uh, with Activision, still to be determined. Uh, looking over at one of the other big players in the gaming market, uh, Electronic Arts is something that sports fans probably know very well, very familiar with. They make some of the most popular sports games out there, including FIFA and Madden. They have tons of other franchises. Um, like Activision, EA is really enjoying the fruits of that transition to digital. You see it in their margins. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, their their total sales in this most recent quarter was up seventeen percent. Their digital sales up thirty percent plus, and now their digital sales are over sixty percent of revenue. And you're seeing their margins over the past few years. It's so clear, and it's it's a nice trend to to see those margins on the top and bottom line trending up. And the the biggest contributor to their digital sales is what they call Ultimate Team, and this is within their sports franchises, whether it's Madden NFL, FIFA, NHL, NBA Live. An ultimate team is kind of a combination of a fantasy sports games like fantasy football or fantasy basketball and collecting trading cards. Uh, so you're essentially building a team, and you get these different packs with players and, and other things. And over time, you're building a team. You're able to trade players, uh, and and it, it takes into account all sorts of things. So if you're building a, a team in FIFA Ultimate Team, it takes into account the uh, demographic of the player. So okay, will a Brazilian soccer player Get get along with an Italian player, and it, so it takes into account all the, these different um, chemistry items. And last year, management said that there were two million trades happening in FIFA Ultimate Team every second. Wow! So just the the level of engagement of people who step into Ultimate Team is, is staggering. And, and Ultimate and Team, and the idea there, just to maybe clarify for sure. listeners, is like I have an Ultimate Team, you have an Ultimate Team, and we have players that we're kind of looking to optimize our rosters, or maybe you have a player that I particularly am like a huge fan of and want. Right, exactly. So you can you can trade and try to upgrade your team over time, and and then you can buy the virtual currency and 
maybe acquire uh, certain players or certain uh, packs or something, uh, and you're you're competing uh, against other players. So, kind of in the sense of like fantasy football, where you you draft your your team, you're following those players, you're trying to fine tune your team, and you're competing against other people. This kind of takes fantasy to a live action level, where you're actually able to physically play the game, you're able to to manage your team over time, and that's just something that's really resonated with the the players. Of these games, that now makes up about 30% of their total digital revenue, that ultimate team segment. So I really like how they're um, focused on that competitive gaming aspect. Like esports is something that comes up a lot where uh, Activision actually wants to become the ESPN of esports and really focus on that elite level of, of players who are literally getting paid to play video games and people will watch people play video games. Uh, Electronic Arts is more focused on individual players competing with one another. And I think they've done a really nice job of creating a really compelling, live, constantly updating experience where you're competing with tens of millions of people around the world, whether it's in FIFA or Madden. And so far, that's been a huge driver of their digital success. And you and you look at that and you're like, well, this is something that they just could not have done before like <laughs> internet-enabled gaming really took off. You know, back in the model of you know, 15 years ago, where people were buying discs and they weren't on consoles that were connected. It's like you were playing with your friends in your house, and it was nice because people had to buy the discs. But you know, they didn't have all of these additional purchases that people could be making. The microtransactions, it seems, are becoming a growing and growing segment for a lot of these video game publishers. Yeah, in the case of Ultimate Team, I think it launched in 2009, and initially that was like an add-on feature that you needed to to pay more for. So you would buy the disc, and then you could buy access to this feature, but now it's something that comes free initially, so anyone can join. But then once you're in, you tend to be locked in, and you stick with it. And then I think a good amount of people end up spending money there. Uh, and, and so, obviously, with Electronic Arts, that sports area, that, that's where they dominate. And I also really like what they're doing uh, to expand into the action and shooter genres, which are the biggest genres within the video game space. They have Battlefield 1, which was a huge hit last year, uh, and that's performing better than the sequel to Battlefield 1, which is called Battlefield 4, which is a little, <laughs> a little confusing. I'm not sure how they come up with the names there, but essentially they're seeing higher engagement with Battlefield 1 than they were seeing with its predecessor over a comparable period. So that's always nice to see. And they also have essentially a decade licensing agreement with Disney to pump out Star Wars games. So uh, coming up this year, you have uh, Battlefront 2, uh, which looks like a very compelling game. The, f- the first Battlefront reboot that Electronic Arts did a couple years ago, kind of it, it got kind of a timid reception uh, from fans, but it looks like they've incorporated a lot of the feedback, and people are really excited about that game. So I think that'll be a big hit for them. And obviously, as you have more Star Wars movies coming out over the next couple of years, I think that puts them in a golden position. And that also goes to to mobile. So there's Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes mobile game, uh, which is sort of a similar uh, concept to Ultimate Team, where you're able to trade the different characters and collect the characters, kind of a collecting fantasy game. Uh, the average user spends 162 minutes a day playing that game, and that number is st- uh, steadily ticked up wow. over the past year. So, just, I mean, that's over, that's about two and a half hours a day for the average user on, on that game. So, I don't know what that means for productivity <laughs> in, in the world, but. I'd love to see that metric for fools. <laughs> I know, boy. Yeah. We, we could count it as research, though. So, we have <laughs> yeah. that perk. But just the, the level of engagement that they've been able to uh, create, it just shows that they're producing some incredibly compelling content. Like, by comparison, I think the average 
like power user of Candy Crush is spending more like 35 minutes a day. So, uh, in the case of this Star Wars mobile game, like gosh, be careful when you download that because you might lose a lot of time out of your day. Yeah, I don't know if I can afford that kind of time suck. <laughs> uh, David, we're going to talk about one more video game company, Take Two, and then I will put you in the hot seat and ask if you have a favorite among the three. <sighs> but before we get over to that in the second half of the show, Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone who you can trust and has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent, online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial information to get the mortgage approval you need in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So, listeners, if you're looking to buy a home or refinance your mortgage, skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, David, last but only least in the sense of market cap, yep. uh, we, are, we are looking at Take-Two Interactive. And this is the publisher behind Grand Theft Auto series, the NBA 2K franchise, so they have some sports exposure there. Um, Take Two is currently like a fraction of the size of these other publishers. I think they're about a quarter to a fifth of the size of EA and Activision Blizzard. So uh, you know they're they're a little bit smaller. Um, the the profile is a little bit different there. I know that the company recently announced a minor roadblock in the delay of its uh, release of the Red Dead Redemption Two title. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's going on with the company and whether that's something people should be worried about? Yeah, so Red Dead Redemption 2 is originally supposed to come out, I think, late summer, early fall this year, 2017, and then they've de- delayed that release to spring 2018. And initially that would would raise a yellow flag, but uh, taking a step back here, Take Two Interactive has two major studios. They have 2K, which does a lot of the, the sports franchises like NBA 2K, WWE. Then they have Rockstar, which is the the studio behind Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption. And Rockstar has a history going back 15 years or so of delaying virtually every major game it comes out with. So this really is just par for the course. Uh, so so it's nothing to me that's that's very concerning. They were basically saying like, look, we want to make sure this is as best as we can possibly make it. And part of the reason they're delaying it is because more and more people are getting uh, the latest generation of consoles. So you have PlayStation 4, Xbox One. That hardware is, you know, a significant upgrade from the previous generation of gaming consoles. So they're saying like we can make this game even better to adapt to that later um, hardware. So for me, I would much rather them delay it six months or even a year and make sure the game is as good as it can possibly be, rather than putting out a product that they feel is subpar. And I think that's part of the reason. Uh, Grand Theft Auto has just been an incredible franchise. And speaking to the power of this transition to digital, the last Grand Theft Auto was released in 2013, Grand Theft Auto V, but it still makes up 38% of the company's total sales today. (laughs) (laughs) So that just shows you, like, more and more people are are continuing to to buy the game and play the game. And management says, like, yeah, Grand Theft Auto Online, that online experience, it continues to. Like surprise us and and beat our own expectations. So, uh, with Take Two Interactive now, um, 
about a quarter of their total revenue comes from what they call recurrent consumer spending. And I feel like they could come up with a better phrase than that. <laughs> I have to ask you what it means. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's not a surprise. Uh, it's made up of um, the, the money that players will spend on virtual currency within the games, downloadable add-on content within the games, and microtransactions. So essentially, any money that players are spending in a game once once they own that game. So that's 25% of their revenue now. And again, that's very high margin, sticky revenue. It's all digital, right? Right. It's all digital. So that just shows that uh, once players do download or buy these games, uh, they're staying very engaged and they're spending more money over time. And in the case of Grand Theft Auto, you're four years, you have a four-year separation between when the last title actually came out, but it's still contributing over a third of your total revenue. So that's pretty astounding, and I think that is part of the reason. Uh, you know, Take Two is a little bit riskier because they still have a lot of dependence on Grand Theft Auto. But you know, I don't see that uh, drifting down at any point. There's there have been over 80 million uh, units sold now of uh, Grand Theft Auto Five, so it's just a, an incredibly long shelf life as a franchise. And in the meantime, you have Red Dead Redemption, which the first one got rave reviews. There's a lot of anticipation for Red Dead Redemption 2, and I think since they're delaying it a few more months to make sure like it's really the highest quality it can be, that'll probably be a pretty successful game. NBA 2K continues to have just incredible engagement each year uh, when they come out uh, with the new uh, NBA 2K titles. So, again, really all of these companies are, are excelling at finding ways to make really compelling games that are engaging over a long period of time. And I think it, as you're transitioning to this digital area, that's really the key. And all three of these companies are doing a really nice job at that. Yeah, I get the sense um, in this conversation that really all of these there's room for all these companies to succeed. They all have kind of their separately carved out niches. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be competition, particularly with like sports licensing mm-hmm. for for games with uh, Take Two and EA. You know, as those contracts come due. Um, but the sense that I get is there's room for all these players to play. I think so, and and this is a, a global game as well. I, I don't know the exact breakdown for all the companies, but in the case of Electronic Arts, like well over half of their revenue comes outside the U.S. Uh, you know, FIFA is really a global. Phenomenon, but it's huge abroad. Huge, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and and that also means like, man, that can make it even more compelling if you are directly competing against literally tens of millions of players around the world. So it makes it really cool as a player to have that kind of um, opportunity to engage with players that way. Um, I forget what what your question was. <laughs> oh, Remind so me. so um, plenty. It seems like plenty of room to plenty operate room. for oh, all yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. The the global market is huge and really. Uh, as the economy worldwide improves and steadily over time, you know the the world economy is becoming more productive. People will have more leisure time, and so really the the, the main competition for any of these kinds of companies are Facebook, Twitter, Netflix, YouTube. Like wherever you spend your leisure time, that that's really the the competition there. Like uh, I recently watched an interview with Reed Hastings, the founder and CEO of Netflix, and he said the biggest long term threat for for Netflix is if at some point, there's some content that is just so compelling that people get bored sitting down and just watching something, you know, dormant. So uh, that kind of gives you a sense for how these media companies should be thinking about about the long term. But I think, you know, people love being entertained. They love the chance to compete and connect with friends and other people around the world. So I, yeah, I don't I don't see this slowing down uh, anytime soon. And then in the meantime, you even have stuff. Which for me is still a little hard for me to wrap my mind around, but esports mm-hmm. and you actually have people watching other people play video games, and that's something that's becoming 
uh, it was especially popular in Asia, but now in the U.S. and Europe, you're also seeing that on the rise, and more and more companies looking to to sponsor or advertise uh, at esports tournaments. So, I, I see certainly see a long term runway for for this space to continue doing well. I know that uh, I was certainly guilty of thinking of esports as being more of a kind of niche novelty phenomenon, and it, and it's clear that that has staying power and that that will be a huge tailwind for a lot of these businesses. It seems like a lot of parts are moving in the or a lot of things are moving in the right direction for these companies. Mm-hmm. Um, not surprisingly, with the run that these stocks have gone on, they are not cheap by any means on a typical PE basis for valuation. Um, yep. All of them above market multiples right now. I teased that I would have to ask you if you had a favorite among the lot. Is there one that you particularly like, or you think is a little bit better positioned right now? Maybe a more attractive valuation, something like that. I'll probably give you a long answer here, but the the short answer here is I like all three. I personally own all three, so full disclosure there. Take Two Interactive, I think, is really interesting if you're looking for maybe a little bit higher risk, high reward situation. Because as you mentioned, they're quite a bit smaller than EA or Activision. They don't have quite the breadth of franchises uh, that that those two you know uh, leading companies do. Uh, but but what I'm really impressed with is that even though they delayed Red Dead Redemption to to essentially the next fiscal year, they're still guiding for record profitability for this coming year. Even though they don't really have any other major titles, you know, uh, slated to to be launched this year. So I think that that's really impressive. And based on the guidance that management gave, they're only trading at about 18 times forward earnings. So that that's what I'm taking a closer look at because based on today's numbers, it does look a little bit pricier. But despite that. Major game delay uh, to next year. They're, they're still looking to do just fine. Um, Activision is really interesting. I think I look more and more at Activision as like a miniature Disney. Just the way that they're approaching it, uh, they want to become the ESPN of esports. So they have this the, a new esports segment that's about a couple years old now, and they actually brought on the former head of the NFL Network and ESPN to to head up this new esports segment under Activision Blizzard's umbrella. Uh, they recently launched a consumer goods segment, so trying to uh, bring that intellectual property to toys and the games. merch, yeah, stuff like that. So, really following Disney's footsteps there. Uh, they see opportunities for advertising, especially with those you know 350 million monthly active users uh, on on the King Digital mobile games, and they also have a movie and TV studio. Uh, so they're trying to build out a cinematic universe for Call of Duty, uh, which might be in the works over the next couple of years. They, they've, they've tried doing that a little bit with Warcraft, right? A, a little bit. That Warcraft movie wasn't under their own studio, so that was like an external studio. Uh, so they can't be blamed too much <laughs> for that. Uh, it got kind of poor reviews. But they do have a kids show, uh, Skylanders Academy, based on their Skylanders game. Uh, the first season launched on Netflix last October. Uh, the second season's launching this year, and Netflix signed it on for a third year. So that's that's a promising start. But with all those different segments, you can see that Activision probably has the biggest vision of all of these different companies, just in terms of seeing their IP extending well beyond just the video games themselves. So if I had to pick one of them, it would probably be Activision. But I like the position that all of these are in. Take two. Higher risk, high reward, smaller. Like I'd probably make that a smaller position. EA, I, I love what they're doing with Ultimate Team, that competitive gaming aspect, especially with um, w- with the sports games. I think having the the access to that Star Wars IP and be, being able to pump out those games, like 
I, I don't see how that doesn't do really well over the next few years as more Star Wars movies comes out. Uh, and then, yeah, Activision just has a whole breadth of different um, opportunities for them and, and how they extend that IP beyond video games. So I like all of them, but I think if you if you forced yourself to pick one, Activision would probably be the one because they, they pay they pay a small dividend since uh, 2010. They're just the bigger idea of the three, but. And why not just go with all three? <laughs> Get a basket of video game stocks. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, David, anything else on video games or the industry before I let you go? No, I think that that does it. I think this is a really attractive space. And like, I personally don't play a whole lot of uh, video games, and I certainly don't watch other people playing video games. So I can understand, especially if you're not a younger investor, this might be a little bit more of a foreign industry to you. But this is something t- t- to watch. I think uh, th- these. These companies, these game franchises, they're 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 going where where customers are headed. People want engaging, compelling content, and and these companies are are delivering that. So it's it's well worth a look as an investor. It's a nice thing to end on there. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. A little housekeeping note before we wrap up. I hope everyone has a good long weekend. Take some time to think of all the individuals that have died while serving our armed forces on Memorial Day. We will be posting an IF episode on Monday, but it isn't going to be your standard stock focus show. It's a little bit more of a bonus episode. We wound up getting all the hosts in the studio to hang out and talk about life at the Fool, and just kind of offer up some fun behind the scenes type stuff. So if you want to get us, if you want to get to know us a little bit better, uh, give it a listen. If you just want some stock focus discussion, it might be an episode to skip. Um, of course, if you have any feedback or questions for the show, you can always shoot us an email at industryfocus@pool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For David Kretzman, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and pool on. Thank you.